It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. Live from the Billy C Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you're listening, hope you're doing okay today. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant, located on beautiful St. Simon's Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com. Or give my man a call, 912 268 23 2-8-9-1-2-2-6-8-2-3-2-8. Find out why I go all the way to St. Simon's to get an authentic Italian meal. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by our free app. That's right. Download our free app today. Uh, just visit our website, www.billycboxing.com, and click on the banner that says download the free app. You know, And don't forget about uh, Fight TV. Hey, if you want to watch the fights but you can't get them on your TV provider, don't worry about it. Fight TV has them, and you can watch Fight TV. We have a nice embedded player right on the front page of BillyCBoxing.com, so make sure you watch it right there and get uh, all of the action right in front of you on Fight TV. Billy C on Fight TV. And finally, today's show is being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino from Bondage, The Baddest Man on the Planet, is available right now where all good books are sold. And you can get a copy of it right now while you're watching or listening to the show. Just visit barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. If you're looking to get a signed copy, don't worry about it. Just visit our website, billyseatboxing.com, and uh, click on the book. You can't miss it. It's all over the place on the website, that is. And uh, get yourself a copy. Just make sure you uh, uh, let me know what you want to what you want to be uh, written in the book if you want it signed. If not, I'll write something. I'll come up with something. Don't worry about it. A programming note, we will not be doing a live show tomorrow or Friday. Um, there is a software update that is uh, going to take place tomorrow, and we do not want a chance having any kind of technical problems. So, uh uh, just a programming note, we will be back better than ever on Wednesday and Thursday, and then we're off Friday, and we'll keep you posted on the schedule for next weekend, in case y'all forgot. It's Thanksgiving week next week. We've got some fights coming up. Anyway, today's main topic, some decent fights over the weekend, but today's main topic um, is, uh, in my opinion, Jarrell Big Baby Miller, or Jarrell Baby Miller, or whatever you want to call him. I think he's grossly overrated. I, I really do. I, I think he's grossly overrated. Um, he uh, fought and won. He got a ninth round TKO over uh, former world title challenger Maurice Wach. 
on uh, on Saturday night. Uh, the official time was one minute and two seconds. Apparently, Wok uh, broke his uh, hand and uh, couldn't uh, couldn't continue, and the fight was stopped. Um, my 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 thoughts about Jarrell Miller is simple. The guy's been shooting off his mouth. He says things like, "No one in the heavyweight conv- division can do what I do and how I do it. I'm the busiest fighter in the division, and all this stuff." I don't see it. I don't see it. Although uh, you know, I was critical about him being so fat. Um, you know, obviously he likes that weight, and he is fluent in the ring. I'll give him that. It's not like he's huffing and puffing like Walk was. Walk looked terrible. Walk looked like he was there uh, as a sparring partner. We all know that. He spent uh, many rounds in the ring with Anthony Joshua sparring with him. Uh, and I think he's taken on that role. Uh, he's extremely slow. And I thought Miller didn't didn't look that great. I, I really don't. And I, I didn't think that, you know, when based on the uh, performances that I've seen with uh, Jarrell uh, Miller from the time he busted onto the scene through Saturday night, this guy's no no threat to the top heavyweights. You know, guys like Anthony Joshua uh, and Deontay uh, Wilder, and you could sprinkle in Joseph Parker, uh, Alexander Povetkin, Luis Ortiz. Uh, all those guys will destroy Miller. I'm thinking Eddie Hearn signed him so he could feed him to one of his fighters. Joining me right now from St. Simons Island in Georgia is my man Sal Rocky Senecola. And Sal... Baby Miller, he's just not impressive. What do you think? Well, you know, he's not impressive. Um, and, uh, you know, his body will probably not allow him to, to do certain things, but he does uh, move and he is somewhat agile uh, for a man of his size. How much can he, how fur- much further can he advance and go? Uh, I, I don't know. It'll, it'll be in a mix. Um, uh, but, you know, like I said, he's he is he's limited not just not just because of his size, but I think more of his, his really his ability and things. Uh, so I think that he's going to uh, you know be up there in the mix until somebody just uh, you know puts him down and and and, uh, and he says, wait, what am I doing here? And uh, but in the meantime, you know, it, it is what it is. When you got two big guys like that in the ring, yet there's, there's going to be a winner. And uh, Baby Miller did it the other night so he won he doesn't show me anything that's gonna make him special i mean even if you take i mean i've been dion i've been uh, somewhat negative uh, about deontay wilder although i was impressed with his last fight i mean at least you see what he does you know he comes in uh, into the ring in uh, you know great shape all the time and he's got a jab and he's got punching power um, he is athletic for a big guy. Anthony Joshua, you know, he seems to, uh, um, you know, uh, be able to, well, he's getting better and better. His defense is tightening up. Uh, he's got a good jab. He's got punching power. Uh, he explodes on people. I mean, just those two guys, the two top heavyweights. And you look at Miller, who, who you know, claims he's the best heavyweight out there. And I don't see any of that. I see a guy that, that took, first of all, Wok is extremely slow telegraphing his punches you know one two and and miller was taking them i mean I, you know he took the 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 the, fight, the uh, punches uh, um, he seems to have a good chin but they were landing 
I mean, no movement, no head movement. You know, uh, they were trying to say that he moves his head slightly and they brush against him and they're not hitting fleshly. I, I, I don't know. Against a top heavyweight, like I mentioned, of course, uh, Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, uh, Sprinkling, Joseph Parker, uh, Alexander Povetkin, Luis Ortiz. I mean, all those guys, I think, would, uh, would beat him handily. And, and I also think that even a guy, a small heavyweight, like Bryant Jennings would do very well against uh, Miller. I, I just, I, you know, I, today's boxing, Sal, if you shoot your mouth off, the squeaky wheel is getting the fights, and that's that's Jarrell Miller. I mean, he, you know, Wack is a decent name on his resume because of who he fought. And then Gerald Washington, you know, they threw in the towel in that fight, and that was a back-and-forth fight. I, I don't know. I, I can't get impressed with this kid. No, and I understand where you're coming from, and, and I feel the same way, and I, I'll tell you why. You throw him on another level with an Anthony Joshua or Deontay uh, Wild, Wilder, he, he's not going to make it, and he's gonna, that, that head that doesn't move so much is going to be a target, and he, they're going to tee off on him, and I promise you, he will not see the fifth round. I agree. I mean, uh, stepping in there with, with uh, a, a AJ or a Wilder, uh, or Luis Ortiz, Pavetkin, like all those names I mentioned, they're going to destroy him. It's a and, class above and, Bill. And, He's good on this level, that's it. Well, I, I tell you, Eddie Hearn signed him, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see Miller uh, fight Dillian White next. And that ought True. to be a decent fight. They're both physically around the same size. I mean, Dillian White's not as fat, but uh, I think Dillian White beats him. I, I, I you know... I'm just not impressed with this guy. You can't expect to get better in the sport of boxing or any sport for that matter if you're not fighting better op opposition. Now, you can make the argument that Jarrell Miller has stepped up his level of opposition in his last two fights, Gerald Washington and now uh, Moritz Wach. Uh, but that doesn't, you know, he should step it up again before he gets into that big fight. They're already talking about him being in a big fight. I'd like to see him against uh, Dillian White or Bryant Jennings next or even Alexander Povetkin. Um, I, I like those fights for him, non-title fights with the winner of that fight maybe advancing to a, to, to a title shot. What do you think? I think that's a perfect pick right there. Any one of those three fighters that you just mentioned would be a solid, good test for them. If he can get past any one of those three as the gatekeeper, then you know what? Maybe he could be in line for a shot like that. Uh, as I said, I think he's got limited talent or limited ability. I think on this level where he was with Wack, he, he's okay. He steps it up a notch. Maybe he can pull something out we haven't seen, Bill. That's what's in a fighter's heart and mind and determination. Let's see what happens when he's tested against another class, another level. And if he can get past that and show us something different, as you said earlier, there is nothing really unique about him that he does that's really special. And when you see a fighter that may lack in some areas, there's usually something he can do to compensate. And there's something special there that will override and take over and, and make him exceptional or make him special. I, I, oh, yeah, he's ordinary at best. I, I would no, like that. That's what I'm saying. He's ordinary. Yeah. You know what? In the talent pool that he's fighting in right now, uh, he'll do what he did the other night. But let's, let's see if he steps up to the next level, the next, the next waiting pool, and see what happens. The one thing that, and this goes against my 
my rule. Um, I, the one thing I, I, I like about AJ is that he's seemingly getting better and better. Now he's still, and I say breaking my rule because he's the champion and, and you know, he's supposed to take on all, comer, all comers, but that doesn't mean he, he can't continue to improve. And I see yeah. improvement with him. And I see improvement with Deontay Wilder when he needs to, like, uh, you know, when he thinks he's in there with, with someone who poses a challenge, he does incorporate the jab. And unfortunately for all of us, we've only seen it against the same guy twice. Um, but with Miller, I didn't see anything in terms of breaking his opponent down. I didn't see him work the body. Uh, I saw him exchange a little bit. I saw him trying to go for a home run. But I didn't see that that process of breaking down an opponent. I think Wok broke himself down. And at times, he was landing the punches, and he's, he's fairly slow. He's a slow puncher. And uh, I, I think Miller's going to have trouble when he, when he steps it up. I really do. I, I think a guy like Dillian White or Povetkin even, even though Povetkin's not uh, you know, like he was several years ago, and even a smaller guy that's got movement who comes in shape in Bryant Jennings, I, I think all of them give uh, Miller trouble. Even Andy Ruiz Jr., who's similar in, in size and, and shape. Uh, I, I'm not impressed with, with, uh, with Miller at all. Uh, I think he's grossly overrated, Sal. No, I, and I can see where you're coming from, and I tend to agree. I mean, like I said, there's nothing, one thing that's exceptional that we can say, hey, this will carry him to that next level. He's an average at best on some certain levels, and uh, uh, there's nothing uniquely different or special. And uh, I think uh, he'll do well at this walk level that he's at. But like I said, when he wants to step up to the next level, I think a, a great test would be Dillian White, who who I don't think is a world beater either, but uh, would be a good test. So uh, I think it's a good fight and a good matchup, and um, I, and maybe maybe it'll bring the best out of both fighters. Who knows? Um, also on that card uh, from uh, from Long Island uh, on HBO, um, Cletus Seldon, the Hebrew Hammer. You know, it's it's funny because back in the in the 40s and 50s and even prior to that, there were so many good Jewish fighters. And today, yes, there was. you very rarely see them. Um, but uh, but the Hebrew Hammer Selden improved to 21 and 0 with 17 knockouts when he destroyed Roberto Ortiz. Um, you know, in uh, uh, the third round, it was officially uh, stopped at two minutes and 43 seconds. Um, he just muscled this guy. Now, I was impressed with Selden because Selden has been uh, overprotected by star boxing since he came out. He's got a great following, uh, mostly at the Paramount in Long Island, uh, and, and they're always putting him in with less than stellar opposition. And, and I thought he was in a big uh, test against uh, Massa Ortiz on Saturday night. And he just destroyed Roberto Ortiz. Uh, he looked uh, twice the size, very primitive, started boxing late, very primitive uh, with his approach, just goes for the knockout. But that's all he had to do against uh, uh, Roberto Ortiz uh, to improve to 21-0 with 17 knockouts. Ortiz drops the second fight of his career. He's now 35 wins, two losses, and two draws. Um, where does Selden go from here? Well, uh, you know, I, 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 I think that these style fights are perfect for him. But if you get him up into the next level, 
and he fights a boxer, um, I think that they will destroy him. Uh, he's very one-dimensional, headhunter, does have extremely uh, uh, solid punching power. There's no question about that. But his skill set is so primitive. No defense. His, his defense is his offense. I mean, you know, he just... He just reminded me, I hate to use this comparison, Sal, because he's nowhere near as good, but he reminded me of a Jake LaMotta-style fighter or a, or a Rocky Graziano-style. I mean, he just came in, or actually, you know who he really looked like? The guy we did, uh, one of our revisited on, uh, the... the uh, um, the fight that we uh, that we watched there. I mean, he he reminded me Marcel Sardan or uh, no? We no. didn't we didn't watch Marcel Sardan. Sugar Ray Robinson. No, we didn't watch Sugar Ray Robinson either. Come on, man. We watched Benny Kid Perret uh, going up Benny against Kid um, uh, who did who did what was that fight? Um, I'm losing my mind here. Benny Kid Perret and and uh, um, was it who? who Oh God, Sal, help me out here! I thought I thought I thought it was Marcel Sardin. No, 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 no. Yeah. It was Gene no. Fulmer. Damn it, Gene Fulmer. I, darn it! I'm, I'm going. I'm Whoa, going. Hey. Ooh, I, I drew a blank. Gene Fulmer, he, tough as nails. Yeah, well, and Benny Kid Perret. Forget well, about it. Well, Selden reminded me of Gene Fulmer. That was the style he was fighting. He he was dragging his foot like Fulmer came in like Fulmer. Now don't get me wrong. I, I don't I don't put him in Gene Fulmer ca category just yet. Gene Fulmer is a Hall of Famer, but he was, seemed very one dimensional. Um, I, I'm not sure how he fares against a guy who can box and move. What do you think? Well, usually if you're one-dimensional like that, you're going to have trouble with somebody that can give you lateral movement and can hit you from all angles and could outbox you, use the jab, set you up, and, and, and parry, punch, and feint here and there and, and uh, pick his shots. Uh, yeah, it, it depends what he could do. Like I said, until these fighters face different styles, because styles do make the fights, we got to see how they can rise to the occasion. Maybe he, he needs to be tested in that area with a good boxer. Maybe he can cut the ring off. Maybe he knows how to counter and slip and, and, and move in when he's faced with it. I believe a lot of times, Billy C., that fighters do uh, uh, box up or box down to the level of opposition that they are in the ring with. i tell you the one thing. I, I, he looked huge for a 140-pounder, that's for sure. Um, Got to look at his legs. If the legs are thin... Like I like I, I looked at Daniel Jacobs uh, this past fight because he's got bigger upper bodies, taller. He he has thinner legs. He doesn't have the calves. He doesn't have the the quads that I would think the, a, a strong middleweight would have. But he, it still works for him. So look at his legs. I will uh, we'll get to that fight in one second. But uh, just to uh, follow up on that, the Hebrew Hammer has uh, tree trunk legs. I mean, he's just his body is just Solid. he's built. He looks way bigger. Than 140. I mean, considering that Roberto Ortiz was in there weighing 140, it looked like uh, Selden was, uh, um, you know, a couple of weight classes above that. But uh, wow, the wow. main event, which uh, came to us on HBO, and and overall, I gotta I gotta say that the HBO card was was nothing special at all. But uh, uh, was uh, Daniel Jacobs uh, going up against uh, Luis Arias, who was uh, undefeated going into that? We will give you our thoughts and breakdowns on that fight uh, here in one second because I have to take a break. Don't go nowhere. Billy C. will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. <laughs> 
That's my face. I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Uh, don't forget, Wednesday, our blast from the past is uh, on Tony de Tiger Lopez. So you're not going to want to miss that. Coming up a little bit later today, we got Dax Khan with his thoughts on the fights this weekend. And a programming note, due to uh, uh, some software system updates uh, for the show, we will not be doing a live show tomorrow or Friday. We apologize for that, but uh, last time we tried to do it after a system update, we had all kinds of trouble, so we've been advised to uh, do the update foist, and that's scheduled for tomorrow. But uh, I'm here with Sal Rocky Senecola, and Sal, the uh, main event uh, for uh, the HBO uh, broadcast on Saturday was uh, former world champion uh, Daniel Jacobs. Uh, He scored a 12-round decision over previously unbeaten Luis Arias, who drops to 18 and one with nine knockouts. Um, the way the judges scored it, 118-109, uh, 120-107, 119-108. to All for uh, Daniel Jacobs. He did dominate this fight. There's no question about it. Um, but, I, you know, I know his last fight. I, I know I'm going to get criticized for this. But I know his last fight. And I like Daniel Jacobs. Don't get me wrong. Um, and I know his last fight. He looked great against Triple G. Some people even felt he won the fight despite being dropped. But I was expecting him to make a statement in this fight. I was expecting Daniel Jacobs to come out and blow away Luis Arias. Not that Luis Arias is an easy opponent because he's not. The kid can fight. But I was expecting Daniel Jacobs to come out and make a statement. Make a statement that, okay, we're talking about Triple G and Canelo and I'm the next guy. You know, and and I'm in the same discussion as Lemieux and Billy Joe Saunders. You know, he needed to make a statement. He needed to have that type of performance, and he didn't do it, Sal. He looked good. As he's got great hand speed. Uh, defensively, uh, Arias couldn't hit him, uh, but he didn't. He didn't go in for the kill, and he j- he won a one-sided fight. He won all uh, twelve rounds on one of the scorecards. Uh, I just, I, I just, I, he wasn't, I don't know. What's your thoughts? I'm going to go a little easier on him. I liked, you know, I said to you once before, you know, there there are a few fighters that are able to go on up and above after they face Triple G. And David Lemieux and I think Daniel Jacobs are two of those exceptions that are going to flourish and are going to go on. And, uh, I think that Daniel Jacobs looked good. He was solid in all that he displayed. His defense, his boxing, his speed, his conditioning, and he totally just dominated this guy. And maybe he did it. To, he, he had the work uh, cut out for him, and uh, he was never in trouble. Uh, and he definitely looked like he was putting together his combinations, his punches. And uh, I, I, I'll give him a pass on this one. Like I said, 
uh, not that that he was doing the, what I said earlier. You rise to the occasion or lower your expectations to the opponent you have. I don't believe that this was the case. I, I think he went in for a good fight and he was ready for a good fight. And I think he just was happy being dominant and having a one-sided fight because he totally, totally took this and on every level. But he beat them in speed. He beat them in power. He beat them in boxing, and he beat them. I mean, it was a, it was a good one-sided fight. I'm going to give Daniel Jacobs a pass on this one. He didn't have to look stellar. To me, his statement was that he he's back, and the Triple G fight didn't take much out of him. And I tell you what, I think he would give Canelo Alvarez a fight. Well, this is my point, Sal. For a guy that you know is that could could arguably, and you and you can make a good point, be that next guy that next guy in line, so to speak, he needed to come out and make a statement, and he didn't. You know, he, he went through the motions. He looked good. I, I can't stand his trainer. Andre Rozier is is probably the most overrated trainer. You know, he, 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 he's... You never hear instruction. The only thing I'll give to Rozier is that they obviously work on things in training camp, and then it's all mental for him in the uh in the fight but um daniel jacobs looked um like you know he was just a, a tiger in a cage waiting to be unleashed and he never never they never let him out and um I, it just made him look i hate to keep using this word but ordinary and i think he's better than that and uh i was expecting him to uh to make a, a statement type fight and i in my opinion he failed to do so and i understand your point about coming in after fighting Triple G. But uh, but he had a chance to really um, get his name out there in the front, even uh, even for all intent and purposes, passing uh, like a, a Billy Joe Saunders and, and uh, David Lemieux, who are squaring off soon uh, against each other. But um, I don't know. I think after the performance against Arias, uh, you know, the winner of Billy Joe Saunders, and David Lemieux will be that number three guy, and Daniel Jacobs falls to number four at best. And I could see that, and I think you're 100% correct. And I think number three and four will probably fight next, and and that'll uh, that'll solidify who beats one or two, like the way we did that. But you could follow the bouncing ball, right? <laughs> it's true. Yeah. No, I, I I hear you, man. I hear you, and it's uh, um I, I don't know. I think I think he's in the top four right there. I definitely do, and I think he's deserving to be there. Uh, I, 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 you know, I'm a big Dave Lemieux fan. I like Dave Lemieux. I think he's exciting. I think uh, he uh, he's tough as nails, and I think he can always turn a fight around. But uh, you know, I, I I think he he should uh, you know with Billy Joe Saunders. I think that's going to be a hell of a fight. And, um, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be looking at that Canelo Alvarez Triple G rematch. And hopefully uh, I'm going to pull for Triple G. I want to see him look more dominant. And I hope uh, he gets the decision he deserved the first time. And then uh, we'll see who he fights then. And uh, I think the middleweight division is looking solid right now. And I think Daniel Jacobs will get another title fight within a year. Oh, yeah. No, no. He's going to end yeah. up fighting that, that kid over in China for the WBA belt. I I guarantee you that. That's going to probably be his next fight. My point was, is that he needed a, he needed a, a, one of those, uh, one of those performances where he really uh, dominated. And, and and listen, 
It's not that Arius is an easy opponent because he's not. He's no, he's a tough not. Kid. Give him some credit there. Yeah, Arius yeah. is tough. No, he's tough. I just I was expecting more out of Daniel Jacobs. I wanted to see a statement fight. I didn't get it. Um, but he won, and that's all that matters. He's going to be a world champion again. He's going to get big fights. He's going to make big money. All those things I agree with. I just wanted to see him in a more, you know, I, listen, it, face it. When these fighters fight these dominating performances, that's what people talk about. You know, they're talking more about the the uh, uh, Sel- uh, Cletus uh, Seldon uh, coming out and destroying Ortiz than they are with Daniel Jacobs winning a 12-round fight against uh, Luis Arias. And nobody's even talking about uh, Jarrell Miller's win over Wack except for Jarrell Miller. Um, another fight that, that took place over the weekend uh, in the light heavyweight division, uh, un- unbeaten light heavyweight Artur Beaterbeev improved to 12-0 and and picked up a uh, IBF version of the light heavyweight title when he won uh, a 12th round stoppage. It was a knockout, 2 minutes and 33 seconds over Enrico Colling. Um, this was another one of those fights where uh, Beaterbeev won by knockout in the uh, uh, 12th and final round. But leading up to it, yes, he was breaking down uh, Coling, but he didn't move in for the kill until the very end. I, I don't know what to think of that fight. I don't know if I was really impressed or, or, or what. Did you get a chance to see that one? Yes, and, and I wasn't overly impressed with Peter Beef. I, I thought he did a solid job. I thought he did fairly well. Uh, at times, I, I didn't like his balance and his stance. He looked too squared at, at one time, and I thought, you know, if, if uh, you know, there was a chance uh, that uh, he could have been pushed or, or, or off balance and caught and uh, himself. But uh, you know, he did what he had to do. He he looks he looks solid in some areas, and uh, you know the level of competition in light heavyweight division. I think he'll flourish there for a while, and and we'll see what happens uh, now that Andre Ward is out of the picture. Um, but I think uh, I think that uh, you know he's got a couple good fights in him. We'll see what he does his next uh, opportunity. Yeah, I, I, again, you know, um, I wasn't overly impressed. Bill. No, no. I, I mean, I mean, you know, he wins the fight. He wins by knockout. You know, I don't want to sound like you know it wasn't critical, but the the from the beginning of the fight all the way to the knockout, it was hard to stay awake. I mean, he just didn't yeah. he didn't do anything that was so exciting and and you know so great. I mean, you know, Coling just looked like he wanted to survive. That his goal was to to make it to the final bell, which he did not do, by the way. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, and Beaterbeev, you know, like like when we watch a fighter like uh, Vasily Lomachenko, we know that Lomachenko's coming in for the kill at some point. Um, I thought Beaterbeev would be coming in for the kill at some point. I kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And uh, I, I think it was more of a combination of exhaustion on Coling's part and Beaterbeef stepping on the gas just a little more in the 12th round uh, to uh, to get that stoppage, but uh, uh, nonetheless, it, it was uh, it was a win, and he won a, he picked up a belt in in the meantime. You know, uh, I mean, not every fight has to be knockout, dragout fight, but I, you know, when you get to this level, you would expect some type of excitement, don't you? Well, you do. There's emotion involved. There's a string of nastiness sometimes you see come out, and you've seen that in fighters. No, I didn't see that in Beater Beef. You know, it didn't look like he, he uh, was going to, as you suggested, go in for the kill and and just be uh, blow him out or just have that. Uh, you know, that 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 one effort. He broke him down. He dismantled him and took to the twelfth round. And, 
and you know he he did he did ultimately uh, have a stoppage and he won. Uh, like I said, I don't know if he's going to be a world beater at the light heavyweight division. I think he's got some good talent, good skill, and I think he'll be good opposition uh, against any fighter out there today. Uh, there were some things that I was concerned about, and we'll see if he can work on them. We'll see. Well, on the main event of that card, that was an exciting fight with uh, uh, super uh, or junior uh, junior welterweight uh, Jose Ramirez uh, taking on uh, Mike Reed who was undefeated going into that. We'll talk about that one in a second. We are going to take a short break here. But one thing I wanted to uh, mention, you know, I, I don't want to take anything away back to the Daniel Jacobs fight. I don't want to take anything away from Daniel Jacobs, Sal, because, no. you know, he's uh, he's a quality fighter and he is going to end up uh, fighting uh, the uh, the Japanese kid, uh, uh, Murata, for, uh, for his belt. I'm, I'm sure of it. I just, my point is, and I don't want to, I, I like Danny Jacobs. I don't want to give the impression that, you know, uh, I don't think he's a good fighter. I just think that he needed one of those fantastic performances. I, I understand you completely. And like I said, I, I was glad to see the kind of fighter that I saw. Uh, and it shows that he's back after a fight like Triple G. Like I said, there's not too many fighters that, that can uh, uh, have a good performance after they fight Triple G. And uh, David Lemieux is the exception, and so was Daniel Jacobs. Well, I'm just saying, Daniel Jacobs was technically sound and looked good. I was just expecting a more exciting you know, statement kind of a fight. We didn't get it. Um, as far as the undercard for uh, Atur Beaterbeev and uh, Enrico Colling, what a great fight in the junior welterweight. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, in the uh, yeah, in the junior welterweight uh, division. Yeah, depending upon the sanctioning body, some people call it super lightweight. You know, I like to super stick lightweight to junior welterweight. Exactly. There's too many either way. We'll be talking about that in one second because I got to take a break. I'll be back in two. Billy C will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C Show. Glad you could be with us here. And uh, just before break, I said that we wanted to talk about, actually, they switched it to the main event, but the uh, ESPN uh, card that featured uh, Artur Biederbeev winning the IBF light heavyweight title against Enrico Colling uh, had an exciting fight on there. And um, Mike uh, Reed uh, was an up-and-coming uh, fighter that many people had high hopes for. They were dashed by 2012 Olympian uh, uh, Jose Ramirez uh, on Saturday night. Ramirez improved to 21-0 and 0 with 16 knockouts when he destroyed, and I say destroyed, uh, Mike Reed uh, one minute and t- uh, 43 seconds uh, into the second round. Um, I, this kid just did what you're supposed to do. <laughs> He just yes, jumped he all did. over Reed, and uh, you know, at first I thought Reed was slick and was just saying to himself, "Well, let me just uh, avoid the onslaught." But uh, but after a while, uh, and I'm saying a while after a while of the first round, Ramirez connected a few times, then just finished him off in the second. What was your thoughts? 
Well, you know, it's so funny because I look at my notes and I did pick Reed and uh, uh, I wanted the or I thought the shorter guy with more compact style might be more explosive on the inside. We never got to see that because I'll tell you what, Ramirez took the fight right to them, right to him, and he was relentless when he had Reed, when he had Reed's back to the ropes. I mean, he just teed off with that left hook right to the liver and he just pounded relentlessly, and uh, he he was dominant. He looked like he was ready. Uh, and not taken away from Reed. I, I think Reed just uh, said, "Hey, I, that's it." And and I'll tell you, Ramirez was just overwhelming for Reed. And uh, with that body attack and mixing up those punches, he just did what what we expect some fighters to do—just totally blow them away. And that's what he did. Well, you know, again, this is my point about overprotecting fighters and how it hurts your fighter. And the argument is always that, oh, well, you know, we want to keep our value with our guy, so we don't want him to lose, because if he loses, then we won't get the fights, we won't get the money, we won't get the television exposure, et cetera, et cetera. But when you finally do, it wasn't like he made, uh, you know, life-changing money to fight Jose Ramirez. I'm talking about Mike Reed. Um, but yet, because he did not climb up the ladder the way you should in professional boxing, he wasn't prepared for Ramirez. So now, who's, uh, you know, he's not going to be in the position. If he would have fought a little tougher opposition, he would have been prepared. He was overwhelmed. That's an understatement oh, yeah. to say he was overwhelmed. You know, Ramirez uh, uh, just beat the crap out of him. And, and that's the end. I mean, Ramirez moves forward. What happens to Reed at this point? I, who knows? What do you think? I think Reed will have a a fight of redemption that he can try to come back with um it can't be against uh an easy opponent it's got to be against someone that that has been uh out there and tested and has a name uh if he's going to be up in the top echelon again but i think that uh, he's got to he's got to slowly climb back he's 23 and 1 and you know, even if some of those victories were padded, uh, you know, you hope the fighter's ready to rise to the occasion and, and show what he's learned through the years and has the experience to to handle himself with a fighter like Ramirez. But unfortunately, he came up very short. And I, I think he'll have to crawl his way back up, and he's got to fight tougher opposition. If he can get past him, we'll see what he could do. If not, you know, like we said, you start out as a prospect, you become a contender, and then you're either going to get a title shot or you're going to be an opponent. So uh, it, just, it just depends. The bottom line is that if these fighters would progressively increase their level of opposition after double-digit fights, once you get to 10 and, you know, you, you learn your way around the ring, if you increase your level of opposition when you do get your shot, you're going to be able to perform. I, I think uh, Mike Reed Bingo. showed what happens when you don't. Now, when you look at Ramirez, Ramirez had – a lot of experience in the amateurs going through the Olympic uh, system and everything else. So, um, you know, there's where the two different. But uh, the belt that um, Terrence Crawford held, uh, the WBC version of the 140-pound uh, title, is vacant because, uh, as we all know, Terrence Crawford uh, vacated that belt. And um, that particular belt uh, will be on the line uh, Ramirez uh, against Reed, the winner of that fight, uh, was uh, supposed to be fighting Amir Aman, who had been uh, the number one contender, then suffered a loss, and he uh, uh, was on the undercard of Ramirez Reed, and he uh, did what he had to do to get this shot, 
Uh, he improved to 20 wins, one loss with 17 knockouts when he stopped Johnny Garcia in the fourth round. Garcia drops to 19 and 5 with a draw. Uh, one other uh, fight I wanted to uh, mention on that card that we didn't get to see on TV uh, in the uh, uh, junior in the junior welterweight uh, division, Maximum uh, Dadasherov improved to 9 and 0 with eight knockouts when he scored a fourth round stoppage over Clarence Booth, uh, who drops to 15 and 4. The official time was one minute and uh, 20 seconds. The reason why I mentioned this uh, uh, fight is because uh, Dada Shadov is a quality fighter because if he beat Clarence Booth, Clarence Booth is a tough out, let me tell you. So uh, keep your eye on uh, Maxim Mad Max. Uh, Dada, <laughs> Mad Max, I like that. Dada Shev, I think is how you pronounce it. But uh, keep an eye on him. Uh, some other fights uh, that we'll get to. Uh, over in England, a rematch in the uh, junior middleweight uh, division. Um, it was a uh, an elimination fight of sorts. Liam Smith uh, won a 12-round decision uh, over uh, Liam Williams. It was a majority decision. The way the judges scored it, 117-111, 116-112 for Liam Smith. And um, one judge had it even, 114-114. Um Beefy Smith improves to 26 wins, one loss, one draw. And Leon Williams drops to uh, 16-2-1. Uh, so we'll see what uh, uh, happens there. Uh, I guess uh, this fight was for an elimination fight uh, bout for Miguel Cotto's belt, which he's going to be putting on the line in his last fight in December. So that'll become vacant. And it uh, looks like Leon Smith uh, will be the guy on at least one side of it. Now on Friday night, um, uh, Luis uh, Rosa and Yondell uh, Evans fought uh, an, a somewhat exciting fight on Showbox. Um, you know, both fighters uh, threw a lot of punches. A at the end, it was a split decision win uh, for uh, Yondell Evans. Uh, the way the judges scored it, 96-94 and 96-94 for uh, uh, each of them. And then the tiebreaker actually fell in the hands of Larry Hazard Jr., uh, who scored at 96-93 in favor of Yondale Evans. Yondale Evans improves to 20 wins, one loss, with 14 wins coming by knockout. And Luis Rosa Jr. loses for the first time. He's now 23-1 and one with 11 knockouts. To be honest with you, Sal, I thought Rosa won that fight. I, I you know, Really? Well, the reason why is because he was the aggressor and he was landing yeah. punches. He seemed to be landing more punches. Uh, it seemed like uh, Evans was hurt uh, several times. It seemed like he wasn't even into going back out there every round. It, right. it seemed like his his corner had to really, you know, uh, <laughs> use some tactics to motivate him. And at the end, when they raised his hand, I was I was a bit surprised. Now I will admit that Evans looked better as the fight progressed and Rosa seemed to run out of gas because of all the uh, energy uh, he uh, used in the first half of the fight. But uh, but I don't know. I, I would have been happier with a draw than seeing it go to uh, uh, going to y y Evans. I I mean, I picked Evans to win the fight, but I, I thought Rosa was uh, was the guy who, who pushed the action and, and landed just as many shots, and they seemed harder than uh, Evans. What was your thoughts? 
Well, you know, I, I will tell you, I did not see that fight, and I have to go uh, look at that in review, and I'll comment on it. But, uh, yeah, I uh, I um, would definitely like to see that fight because it, it, it sounds like uh, I want to see what you saw and uh, see if I can agree with you there. Well, <clears throat> you know, just remember, just because you're coming forward doesn't mean you win a fight. But well, It's got to be effective aggression. Well, you, got, you have to be able to, uh, you know, dominate in that fashion. You've got to be able to move forward, cut the ring off on them, land your shots, whether you're countering, whether you're being offensive. You've got to pick your spots. And that's what I, and that's what I thought that uh, Rosa was doing, you know. But uh, it was also a heavyweight fight on that card. Uh, Junior Fay um, fought Freddie Latham. And uh, Junior Fay came out. Uh, he won the fight. First round knockout, uh, one minute and seven seconds. Uh, six foot five inch Junior Fay improved to thirteen and zero with not uh, with uh, eight knockouts. And uh, Latham loses for the first time in his career. He's now a nine one and two. Um, I don't know what to think of him, uh, Junior Fay. I, I do think he's got a long way to go. Uh, long so. way to go. He's only got his thirteenth fight. And, uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a long climb, but uh, he's progressing along, and he uh, won impressively. There's no question. I mean, he definitely won impressively, um, and I, I just don't know how good uh, his opponent was. He certainly didn't look uh, that great, but you know, I, I you know we'll see. I, I don't think Junior Fay is going to be a name that we're going to be talking about uh, in, in a couple of years as being the you know a great great heavyweight. I, I see him peeking out fairly quickly i mean he's not uh, a guy uh um he's not a guy like you know uh Deontay or aj or uh, some of these other heavyweights that are uh you know seemingly getting better and better as time goes on we'll see junior Fay is young uh but he just he seems he reminded me of build and performance of dominic brazil now i like dominic brazil but i, I think he's do. but but i think he's peaked out you know so uh I think Dominic Brazil has also, I think he's limited in some of the things that he is. And uh, he's been fortunate. He's gotten some big victories. He's a gamer. He's always drawing punches. He's always coming back. He's taking great shots. But, uh, you know, I think uh, I think against, uh, you know, Deontay Wilder or, or I think against an Anthony Joshua, he, he's, he's going to have a short night. Against, oh, against. Uh... Okay, I, I'm saying Dominic Brazil, I, I like him. He's a gamer. He's tough. He's got a, a, the ability to take a good shot. He could dish a good shot. But I think if he stepped up against a Deontay Wilder or an Anthony Joshua, I think he's going to have a short night. Well, I don't think – I think he gives uh, Wilder I think a good... he gives a fight. I think he shows a couple good rounds. But I don't think he's in the class of those guys. And I think uh, I think they're going to take advantage of that. And I well, think they're going to hurt him. Well, he doesn't have the hand speed – that um that like Josh uh, that uh age that uh Deontay Wilder has and I think that that's gonna hurt him but he's got the chin and he does have power I want to see him against Deontay Wilder I actually think he would fare pretty well uh against uh Deontay Wilder but uh uh anyway I got a couple of emails to read uh first one is from uh Joel and he says uh hey Billy C I was wondering if you and Sal saw the impressive performance uh in the UK of Josh Taylor stopping Miguel Vasquez. He looked uh, very good and became the first guy to give Vasquez uh, a, t a stoppage loss. I feel the sky's the limit for him and would hope to see him come to the U.S. and fight Adrian Broner or Victor Postal, a true great uh, champion 
uh, a true threat in the 140-pound uh, division. Um, yeah, Miguel Vasquez, a uh, tough guy, long-time um, lightweight champ, uh, if I recall correctly. Uh, and uh, it was impressive to see uh, Josh Taylor uh, stopping him. Uh, I didn't watch the whole fight. I just saw some clips, but uh, I agree with you there, Joel. And he says, I think uh, I thought Big Baby Miller looked good, but could benefit from losing more weight. I think he could uh, even be faster and, and a true threat. Do you think Miller will be the next opponent for Wilder or Joshua? I saw Eddie Hearn mention Miller could face Joshua next. As I've said many times, Wilder is all talk and won't fight AJ. Uh, at least that's what I feel. I could see Miller being an opponent of one uh, of those two guys. Uh, you're in Sal's thoughts. I, you know, I, I can't see Anthony Joshua facing Jarrell Baby Miller at this point, no. Sal. I see Miller facing a Dillian White or, or someone else. You know, they, they, they have some big fights in store for AJ. Jarrell Miller's not one of them. Um, no. And with him signing with Barry Hearn, uh, with uh, Eddie Hearn, I would think that if he does fight a Deontay Wilder, you know, Deontay Wilder technically has a mandatory in Brazil. And I, I do think that they're trying to make that fight earlier than later. Because let's face it, if Anthony Joshua or Wilder, whoever wins that fight, takes out the most dangerous guy in the division and then could just cash out on all the other fighters, I, that's what I think. What do you think? I think so, and and Bill, I'm gonna tell you because you and I might have, uh, we might be in opposite corners, but I'm telling you, there is something freaky uh, that I get from uh, Deontay Wilder. What I mean is, this guy is dangerous. He's always dangerous because you never know what's gonna come at you from what angle. Uh, and I'm not gonna go refer back to the drunken octopus, but <laughs> I mean this guy. I, I see him destroying Dominic Brazil if they fight. I see him destroying him. I think it will not go past five rounds. And I'm sorry. I don't see I don't see Brazil lasting five rounds with, with uh, Deontay Wilder. And Deontay Wilder is going to give Anthony Joshua a good fight. And I'm not going to say that uh, he's going to win. But if he comes out in dominant fashion and he, like I said, he's unpredictable. He's wild with his shots. And sure, Anthony Joshua uh, could be more methodical and come out there and do this. But I think Deontay Wilder is going to give him more angles and more things to look at and worry about. And because Anthony Joshua, I hate to say this too, developing, but maybe not has, maybe not have had faced an opponent like an like a Deontay Wilder. I think it's going to be a hell of a fight. And that's the fight we all want to see. Listen, I, I predict this. I'm going to make a bold statement right now. Go ahead. When and if Deontay Wilder fights Dominic Brazil, yes. I predict that Wilder will break his hand at some point in that fight on Brazil. And <laughs> That's Brazil, a good prediction. Brazil has a granite chin. I do not yeah. think that Wilder can punch any harder than Anthony Joshua. Um, I think that they both, uh, you know, I'll give them, I'll give them the punching power as equal and until they fight each other, I, I can't give either one an edge, but because of the chin of Brazil, I think Brazil will, uh, end up, uh, having Wilder break his hand on his chin 
And Brazil is going to give Wilder all kinds of trouble. I, I don't see Wilder stopping Brazil. I don't see what you see. I really don't. All right. I really don't. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. That'll that'll be it. I'm going to say he doesn't go past five rounds. You'll say he's going to give him all he can handle, and, and uh, I'd, I'd like to see that fight. I think that Dominic Brazil is a tough guy. I like Dominic Brazil. I like him very much, but I think he's also maybe limited when he steps up against a Joshua or Deontay Wilder, who I do believe – are the two best heavyweights out there today. Um, another email, uh, this one's from uh, my man Chris from Canada. He says, he says, hey, Billy C., how much pain and anguish are you in uh, from seeing Ryan Fitzpatrick beat your Jets? Um, I'm in more pain and anguish for watching uh, the Jets just tank. And, uh, you know, they have a, a, a horrific uh, coaching staff that don't know the difference between a pig skin and a snake skin. Uh, these guys don't know how to call a game. I, I sat on the phone with my best friend and was calling every single play that the Jets were running on offense and then was predicting what the other team was going to do against them defensively. I mean, uh, when the Jets were playing defense, defense. They are just so predictable. If I could do it after four or five scotches with my buddy on the phone, you know, what makes you think that uh, professional NFL uh, coordinators can't pick it? They, 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 this Jets team does have talent, but they have no quality coaching. That, uh, that Their head coach, um, it, Todd Bowles, is, is garbage. Uh, you know, the media was saying, oh, he saved the season. He did it. He, the Jets, he didn't have them ready. This is the most unprepared team I've seen in years. They get flags for stupid stuff, you know, illegal motion. Uh, they can't get their, their secondary to not uh, cause a, a pass interference or defensive holding plays. Uh, every big run is called back because of a holding play. Uh, this quarterback... You know, people could say everything they want about McNown, how great he's been doing, career year, et cetera, et cetera. He is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. He takes, you know, other quarterbacks in the NFL will take a seven, eight-yard sack, not Josh McNown. He takes a 15- or 17-yard sack when he gets sacked. He's stupid. He and, and Fitzpatrick, hey, listen, the Jets didn't get beat by Fitzpatrick. The Jets got beat by the Jets. Fitzpatrick didn't do anything. He showed... The, uh, one play says it all. Uh, McNown, like an idiot that he is, throws an interception because he, he throws the ball like he thinks he's Dan Marino. He throws an interception. The Buccaneers get the ball. Very first play, I'm on the phone with my friend John, and I said, watch, Fitzpatrick's going to go deep in the end zone here. Sure enough, he goes deep in the end zone, but Fitzpatrick is just as bad as McNown. What does he do? Throws an interception to the Jets. It was back-to-back -back interceptions showing how crazy and crappy both of these teams are. It was sickening to watch. <laughs> to say I was uh, in anguish is an understatement, but uh, speaking of the NFL, other scores, the Saints beat the Bills 47-10. to The Packers beat the Bears 23-16. The Lions over the Browns 38-24. This was a tough game. The Browns were in this game uh, right till the end. The Titans and Bengals played a tough one. 24-20, the Titans uh, came out on top. Steelers had to kick a game-winning field goal to beat the Colts 20-17. Like I mentioned, the two terrible teams, specifically the worst team is the Jets. They lost to the Buccaneers 15-10. It was the last... 
the Jets have a chance to come back, and uh, they're they're acting like they have a whole another fifteen minutes of court. This is all coaching. They don't know how to do time management. They they burn timeouts like they have unlimited. Uh, you know, even the announcers going, "Why aren't they rushing? Why aren't they getting to the line of scrimmage?" You know, they they use a, and then they try to do an onside kick. Most NFL teams practice onside kicks day in and day out. All right. And when you have the chance to pull one, you only get one chance. The game was on the line. They needed to do an onside kick. The kicker kicked this bogey. It was just he kicked it right to the defender. It's supposed to bounce it. It's supposed to give your guys a chance. He kicked it to the opposite side. There wasn't even any uh, jets on that side. What a joke! The whole team sucks. I can't stand it. It's, well, I've been living. I've been living. I'm waiting in, for you to mention my Giants. Well, I'm, they we're getting there. But I'm 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 just miserable being a Jet fan my whole life. But anyway. Um, the Vikings beat the Redskins 38-30. to The Jaguars beat the Chargers in overtime 20-17. The Rams, what are they, there's a real team right there, the Rams, 33-7 to over the Texans. The Falcons beat the Cowboys 27-7. to And the Cowboys aren't going to be looking too good now with uh, their running back uh, on the shelf for a little bit. Uh, and, yes, the 49ers got their first win of the year. They beat the Giants 31-21. So now the 49ers and Giants both have one big win on the season. Jeez. And in the late game, the Patriots slapped the crap out of the Broncos 41-16. In other Man, sports, okay. in the NBA, the Celtics beat the Raptors 95-94. Pistons over the Heat 112-103. And the Rockets beat the Pacers 118-95. Are the Rockets for real? They look like it. In the uh, hockey league, uh, National Hockey League, the Capitals beat the Oilers 2-1 in a shootout. The Devils beat the Blackhawks 7-5. The Lightning over the Ducks 2-1. And the Sharks top the Kings 2-1. That takes care of uh, the other sports uh, in uh, in today for today. But uh, how how'd you feel about watching the uh, Giants uh, lose to the 49ers? Well, you know, in all due respect of Manning, I know he's he's been great for the Giants for many years. But I think we need a change in our quarterback. We need a change in our coaching, and uh, we'll see what happens. First I, of all, how can you blame? I, I'm I'm a I'm a Jets fan, and I don't like the Giants, and I could care less whether they win or not. But how do you blame Eli Manning when he's got one receiver? The other, the other receivers are hurt. He's got one real receiver. Um, the offensive line is not protecting him. And let's be real: the Jets' defense—I mean, the Giants' defense—is as bad as the Jets' defense. They can't stop a nosebleed. You know, the 49ers were running all over them. They were throwing passes. They have a quarterback. Well, where did he come from? You know, I mean, uh, I, I, you can't. You know, unfortunately, the quarterback is the high-profile position where everybody blames him. True, but, and, and but he's you, got a team around him, too. But, but let me tell you another thing which really bothers me about some stuff out of Giantville. The Giants are upset with the coach. Now, you could say everything you want about the coach. He seems to be making poor decisions. But you know why they're upset? They're upset because they make uh, the coach makes them practice hard. He makes them practice the day before a game. He makes them pay fines if they show up to meetings late or if they drop a ball or if they do something in bed. He does all these things, and they're all upset, so they don't want to pay play for him. Are you kidding me? This is the problem. This is the problem with today's athlete. They're a bunch of pansy asses. You know, uh, if Bill Parcells, uh, the only guy left that's a kick-in-the-ass coach is Bill Belichick. But Bill Parcells, um, Jimmy Johnson, 
you know, all these great uh, coaches, Mike Ditka of yesteryear, they were called, in my opinion, I call them kick-in-the-ass coaches. They'll kick a player in the ass. You know, uh, Mike Ditka grabbed the harbor around the face mask and dragged him around the sideline because he threw it into the I mean, I, you know, these are kick-in-the-ass coaches that don't make it today because the, the, the players are a bunch of pansy asses and they make so much money that the teams will retain the player versus the coach. So everybody's looking at the coach all the time. It all goes back to what I say, Sal, participation trophies. We've become a society of a bunch of pansy asses. We really have. Well, it is. I mean, and you look at it. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to tell a story about my younger son in school. What he, what he shared with me this weekend. I, I, I don't know if I should, but, uh, but it, it looks like it comes from the youth on up. It's just the entitlement. It's just the pansy asses. When, when my son tells me he has a hard time with a teacher, I said, "Why?" And he goes, he goes, "Well, Dad." She makes us study. She she gives us homework, and she wants us to take notes on the classes and the topics. And then she wants us to t- be ready for a, a pop quiz or a test whenever we're ready. And and we don't have any time to to to, to relax or play or do anything in her class. I said, well, Nick. I said, you're just telling me what I went through, exactly. and I loved it. It was great. Well, that's this is problem. how it's supposed to be. You're that's, supposed to study. You're supposed to take notes. You're supposed to have pop quizzes. Yeah. You're supposed to do things. Yeah. That's a teacher from the old school. I give him credit. And and you know what? This is the problem. we got to take a break, but this is the problem. You know, you, we coddle our, our kids all the yeah. way through college. They Basically, if they show up, they get a degree. Then we toss them out in the real world when they've never had to compete or anything. No. And we wonder why they can't handle it. They wonder why when somebody makes fun of them because they're fat or dressed funny, they go home and kill themselves. You know, we've created a weak society. It's a serious subject. I don't want to get into it. Let's take a short break. When we come back, Dax Khan will join us. We'll be back in two. Billy C. will be right back. Part of the Billy C. Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy, Billy C. C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And don't forget to uh, tune in on Wednesday when we uh, have Boxing Hall of Famer Larry Hazard join us. And Alex Papali will present this week's Blast from the Past, which features, uh, as per request, by the way, Tony the Tiger Lopez, former uh, multi-division world champion. So uh, you're not going to want to miss that. Joining us right now to get his thoughts on the fights from this weekend is uh, my man uh, Dax Khan. What's up, Dax? Good morning. How was everybody today? Uh, Good morning, Dax. Too, I got a, something's wrong with my back today. I don't know what the hell it was, but uh, anyway, I want to start off with uh, my main topic today. Jarrell Big Baby Miller. I think he's grossly overrated. Dax, your thoughts, please. Well, you know. This was supposed to be a showcase of sorts for Miller. Um, he beat 
uh, um, and dominated, you know, he was supposed to, you know, dominate, knockout, walk, um, you know, a guy who went 12 rounds with Klitschko. He had only been stopped one time before against uh, Povetkin, who at the time was the second best heavyweight in the world, uh, uh, considered by most. Um, the win here was supposed to look good, not only on paper, but on camera. Miller looked ordinary at best. He comes in at 283 pounds. This is supposed to be a bonus, considering in his last fight he was 298 pounds in July. He's really an undersized heavyweight. And yes, I said undersized heavyweight. He's only six foot four. He has a 78-inch reach. But, you know, compared to a lot of these guys, that's not much. Uh, Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder, not only are they bigger, they're in better shape. Uh, but they're more athletic. You hear comments about the speed, and they're trying to uh, say Miller can equalize things with his hand speed. But what is that hand speed equal to? It's like, you know, uh, that fat girl that you don't want to hurt her feelings. And you say, you know what, but... You have a pretty face. You know, that's more or less, you know, what are you saying about Miller? Yeah, he's got some hand speed that, you know, he, he won, um, you know, walk slower than a sloth. Uh, he was man he managed to land punches, land them cleanly. Uh, Miller, in my opinion, you know, you said he, he's he's basic. He's average. He's not going anywhere besides besides where he is. You know, they have to keep him in fights like this because the first time he steps up against a Wilder or against a, a Joshua, he's going to get knocked out. Yeah, I I mean, you know, today's boxing, you move up in rankings and you get opportunities by being the squeaky wheel. And that's all that Miller's doing. He didn't show anything against a, a guy that clearly has transformed into nothing more than a uh, a sparring partner. And, and he was landing. He was landing solid shots on him, too. You know, and uh, that was the... Uh, uh, that was the worst part of it all. He was landing uh, solid shots on uh, uh, on Miller, and I just think I just think Miller, like you said, he's not going. To, he's not going to beat a Dillian White. Any of the top heavyweights, no. excluding Deontay Wilder and AJ, because he doesn't have a chance with them. You know the Dominic Brazils, the the Dillian Whites, the Pavetkins, the the uh, uh, Brian Jennings, the Luis Ortiz. All of them will destroy Miller. What do you think? Absolutely. I agree. You know, Mill, he's too easy to hit. Um, he plods. Uh, he has really no head movement. He's so very big. He is a, um, a poor man's version of Shannon Miller. You know, but he'll never he'll never get that belt because the guys that are in there right now, unlike where Shannon Miller was a little bit more skilled and he had an opportunity with the exit of other guys, uh, Jerrell Miller's not going to get that opportunity and claim a title. Who? What, 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 who's not going to? You mean you don't think Miller will get an opportunity? I think they'll feed him to somebody. He, he, he won't get a world title. Shannon Miller was able to, you know, squeak out a world title, but Jerome Miller won't get that because, you know, Shannon Miller uh, got his world titles at the right time, you know, with the exit of Lennox Lewis and uh, with the exit of um, Evander Holyfield. Uh, right now, the champions are young, and Jerome Miller is not going to be able to squeeze in there and be a, uh, a lower-level champion like a Sultan and Bragamov like, uh, or a... Um, the, the white wolf over there or something, you know what I mean? He, he's a poor man's version of Shannon Miller. He talks like Miller. Um, he's not even as in shape as Miller is. No, no, he's not. He's not. Um, speaking of uh, that card, Dax, uh, Sal and I were talking about Danny Jacobs and his win over Luis Arias. No disrespect to Arias. He's a good fighter. The kid can clearly fight. But I was expecting a a, a dominating, a, a hey, I'm the next guy to talk about type performance over Daniel uh, for Daniel Jacobs. He won. He won every round uh, on one of the scorecards, and he looked good, and he looked solid. He, he, he's he got hand speed. He, he's, he's the full package. 
but he seemed to be complacent with just winning a decision. I, th- I thought he needed to come out and make a statement. What was your thoughts on that fight? He made a statement. He made an absolute statement. Daniel Jacobs showed that, you know what? You're not going to get under my skin. You can talk. You can make all the promises you want. But once you get into that ring, you're going to fight at my pace. I'm going to do what I want when I want. And you have to be the one to come to me because I control this ring. This is my house. And that's what he did. You know, Daniel Jacobs has shown levels. And right now, you know, Daniel Jacobs not only has his defense improved, um, his in-ring composure has improved. Uh, his punching actually has improved. He works behind the jab. You know, uh, Arias tried everything he could to get under Daniel Jacobs' skin before that fight, and Jacobs just went out there and he bullied him. He actually embarrassed Arias because Arias, remember, this is a guy who said Daniel Jacobs was going to run. He was going to check his chin. Um, you know, he beat his chest. He did a lot like what David Hay did before the Vladimir Klitschko fight. And, you know, just like David Hay, once that bell rang, you know, Arias found out, you know, something, as my old Mike Tyson expression goes, once you get punched in the face, things change. The second Daniel Jacobs touched him one time, Arias didn't want anything to do with it. He held. Daniel Jacobs, he looked sensational in my opinion. The only time he didn't look sensational is those few times where um, he allowed Arias to get too close and he was missing some shots. But then very smartly, he, you know, he weighed down on Arias. Uh, John David Jackson, you know, a lot of, uh, not uh, just the fighters, but, you know, uh, referees, announcers, and uh, some of the trainers this weekend were horrible. John David Jackson, no instructions from him during the fight to Arias other than uh, you're getting close, uh, you're doing great, keep doing what you're doing, he's getting tired. Um... He was encouraging, but, you know, he gave no instructions in the corner. Maybe starting to see a little bit of what uh, Sergey Kovalev was talking about, you know, about uh, playing with about John David Jackson, not really being an asset, because I didn't see him as an asset this weekend with Arias. Did you? Um, no, but but getting back to, to Daniel Jacobs, uh, I, I, where I think I agree that he looked solid in, in all aspects. My point isn't that. You get to do that. Uh, in the gym, you know, you work on that stuff. I, I mean, you know, I wasn't looking for him. You know, he signs a contract. I, I look at it this way, Dax. He signs a contract uh, with uh, with with Eddie Hearn. He signs a contract with with HBO. You know, he seems to be that next guy that's going to be, you know, uh, in the discussions with after uh, Triple G Canelo fight again, and after Lemieux, uh, Billy Joe Saunders. Um, you know, he is. That next guy, we know that he's most likely going to get the world title shot over in Japan. Um, but I wanted to see him do something spectacular, uh, and he didn't. Now, you're looking at that as being composed and stuff. And, and I, I mean, did you think that Arias was really posing that much of a threat to D- Jacobs where he couldn't just go? He demonstrated that his hand speed and his accuracy was 10 times better than Arias. I thought he could have had the knockout. I really thought he could have had the knockout, and he, he failed to uh, to go for it. And I think that that's a reflection on his trainer, who I think is – talk about putting you to sleep. That guy uh, – uh, Andre Rozier, I think, is, is, is terrible as a trainer. Listen, we all know in this sport you need a willing dance partner. Terrence Crawford, I remember when he fought uh, Clemens, and it was such a horrible fight. And Crawford tried so hard. He won that knockout. He wanted to look sensational. But it went a lot like the Jacobs fight against Arias did. And uh, Crawford apologized afterwards. But, you know, he said, you know something, I didn't have a willing opponent. And that's what happens when you have somebody in there just uh, trying to survive. And that's what Jacobs had. He had somebody trying to survive, but who can punch. So why take an unwilling, unnecessary chance and uh, give him that opportunity to actually catch you or score that one-punch upset? You know, it could have happened. So he just went in there and he did his business. 
True. Uh, you know, I'll give you that. He did his business. What was your thoughts on uh, the Hebrew Hamra destroying uh, Masa Ortiz? That shocked me. Stop with the Hebrew Hammer. Stop. This guy is, seriously, come on, man. This guy is a third-level journeyman. You you, uh, you credit any fighter who steps in the ring. I'm not questioning his heart. It, it's his skill set. Does he hit hard? Let's put it this way. Uh, the guys he hasn't knocked out are his best opponents. So, you know, I thought Ortiz would have went more rounds, uh, but was the size an issue? You know, uh, he's only been stopped by Matisse in the past. You know, no shame to that. The announced team of Roy Jones and Kellerman um, acting as though Selden is a talent. Uh, who wants to fight this guy next? You know, I was waiting for him for any moment to say, uh, Terrence Crawford, it's a good thing he left the 140-pound division before he had to fight this guy. Uh, they defended that elbow technique, calling it old school. Uh, but yet I've heard these people bash Mayweather for that same uh, thing. But you know what? Selden intentionally uses that elbow sometimes. Mayweather didn't. You know, Floyd didn't have to. But, you know, again, it shows the bias of these uh, announcers. Uh, you know, and then, you know, they call him, you know, the next great Jewish fighter. All of a sudden, Cletus Selden out of Long Island fighting out of the Paramount is the next Barney Ross. Get out of here with Cletus Selden. The next time he faces, the first time he faces a top five opponent, Cletus Selden, the Hebrew hammer is going to need the Hebrew shover, shovel to get him up off the canvas. Well. Obviously, you missed my point 100%. I am not suggesting that he's a great fighter. I said in the opening that he uh, uh, was very primitive uh, in his approach and one-dimensional, but my point that I was trying to get is at least he was exciting in his win, and he's got people talking, uh, giving him much more uh, uh, kudos than, than he should for his boxing ability. He did go out and destroy uh, Roberto Ortiz, and that is uh, my point. You know, he did what he had to do. It is going to get him a payday, but against any boxer, he's going to get destroyed. I mean, the way he drags that foot, he looks like uh, Kazimoto, for, uh, for God's sakes. But uh, I, know you, I know you're a big uh, fan of a tour, of a tour beater beef. Um, what would you think of that fight? I, I had a hard time staying awake for it, Dax. Listen, he went a tw t uh, full 12 rounds. As I said Friday, uh, he's the guy we've watched. Um, you know, from the amateurs, uh, they spoke about his wins over Kovalev. Uh, people were excited because the possibility of that matchup during the, uh, the rise, the error, supposedly, of, of the crusher. Um, again, you know, Teddy Atlas kind of did what you did. Um, he's uh, bashing Coelling for uh, not taking chances, but saying, oh, Beater Beeb is doing just what he should to win. You know, very uh, un-Teddy Atlas-like. Uh, Beater Beeb, he's basic. Uh, his pace is slow. He can be outboxed. He's not hard to hit. And uh, Coelling, if he had a little more power, I think uh, he would have uh, capitalized and took advantage of that. You know, Arthur B2B, the first time he gets in there against a top name, uh, I have a feeling he's going to lose. And, and not against uh, Sergey Kovalev, because I think we actually have seen the real Sergey Kovalev. But if he goes in there against an Alexander Vodzik and uh, or Dmitry Bibble, who I believe is the class of the division, um, you know, uh, he's, he's going to get knocked out. I actually did a social media poll this weekend. On uh, who would uh, fans like to see uh, Arthur B to be uh, face next, uh, Kovalev or Shabransky? Um, John Scully, who worked with B to B, and uh, Prince Badi Ajamu, uh, uh, you know, the former light heavyweight, they both said that B to B Kovalev is the fight to see next. But any everybody had refused to answer my questions on how does B to B do against a Vazic or how does B to B do against a uh, Dimitri Bivol. Uh, Team Bivol, I spoke to them this weekend, and Team Bivol says they want B2B now. They want to unify those titles now. They have a contract waiting for B2B now. 
Well, it'd be an interesting fight, and I, I'd Would like be. to see. Uh, you know, the thing I like about Bedebev is that he, uh, you know, he's he's uh, more of a tactician. You know, he's. Uh, I mean, it's not exciting style of fight, but he 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 tactfully goes in after his opponent. And so far, we haven't seen that with Bivol. You know, we've seen Bivol destroy people. So I, I like that fight. I like that fight. I hope it happens. Uh, what this, was your? This, this is the only time you've seen Beater Beef tactically go after an opponent. It's true. I was expecting. Okay, I was, the only I was, time, you know, Bivol Bivol just goes in there and does his job. Beater Beef. Um, somebody said the mummy. Beater Beef is like you know, uh, you know, the early George Foreman. He goes in there and. You know, and then he's with the with the hard, uh, stiff arm swing punches. Come on, be- Beater Beeb, you know, he's strong. Without that power, you're going to try and tell me that a Beater Beeb was uh, an average puncher that on Saturday night, do you think he would have won that fight? Let's be honest. Well, I think I think he won the fight before the bell sounded because Coling decided that he wanted to survive. That's it. He didn't go. He didn't do anything to suggest that he was going in there more than just to go the distance. I, I'm sorry. That's the way I took it. But uh, he, he did more than what I said on Friday. I said he was only going to last a couple rounds, but, you know, he did manage to uh, uh, go 12 again. You know, that's what happens, as I was stating in uh, the Daniel Jacobs and Arias fight. When you have an unwilling opponent, you know, they can make you look bad. So that could have been the case. I could be being too harsh on B2BF. I'll tell you who looked really good was Jose Ramirez. Went in there and uh, destroyed uh, Mike, yes, indeed, Reed. I was impressed. Uh, because at first I thought Mike Reed was actually, you know, letting him uh, shoot his load, so to speak. And I, and I thought maybe uh, Mike Reed uh, had it all under control. But uh, Ramirez was, un- was relentless and uh, unleashed an attack that uh, ended the fight quickly. Was it just luck or is this what we should expect with Ramirez? It's his style. It's the type of fighter he is, and I just don't think Mike Reed uh, was expecting that. You know, so it was a good win for Ramirez. Um, you know, he had the crowd behind him. It was a great night for him, uh, you know, on a, um, a high-exposure card. You know, what I would like to see is him face uh, Alex Saucedo. Alex Saucedo, you know, he gave a great uh, performance, dropping a, a, a Vittori, you know, knocking him out. I would love to see, you know, uh, Alex Saucedo and Juan Carlos Ramirez face off next. What do you think about that fight? Yeah, that's a good fight. Um, I think uh, that would be a, a really good fight uh, to have them both uh, uh, in the uh, ring together, I, except it looks like Amir Aman, your guy, uh, is going to be uh, uh, fighting Ramirez for the uh, vacated uh, title by T- uh, Terrence Crawford. He's not the same fighter after uh, Adrian Granados. He's not. He's not the same fighter. Adrian Granados changed him. So I noticed in the chat room uh, that you were uh, saying the next great heavyweight is Junior Fey. Uh, tell us about that. I, I don't know if he's great, but let me tell you something. I was impressed. Uh, we weren't sure what to expect. Uh, uh, Fa had a good amateur career uh, at New Zealand, but only known in New Zealand. And, uh, of course, um, with uh, Fred Latham, hey, you know what? He had all those titles, those regional titles. He's a two-time Pennsylvania Golden Glove champion, the, the owner of the prestigious Pennsylvania heavyweight title. So, you know, anything could have happened. But, you know, if I quickly introduce himself, uh, you know, he came in. Not only does he have power, as you know, that's obvious. But did you notice when he went, when he had Latham on the ropes, he used a great variety of punches, you know, combined. It wasn't just clubbing. You know, he went to the body. He opened up the guard of uh, Latham. You know, he showed that, you know, this guy can be a complete package. If he has a good chin and uh, some stamina, this kid can really make some noise and be special in the division. It's uh, apparent why he has two wins over Joseph Parker. Yeah, and the amateurs. And we'll uh, 
We'll have to wait and see. I, I thought that he showed some hand speed, uh, but uh, we don't know really uh, about his opponent. I mean, uh, I know that he was undefeated, uh, Latham, but, uh, uh, you know, he didn't look I know he, he's a Tennessee heavyweight champion. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Need to say more. Uh, all right, you don't need to say any more about that. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know what I wanted to ask you? One other, one other question. Um, in, uh, well, the main event, uh, Luis Rosa and Yondell Evans, you know, I, I I disagreed with the um, with the decision in that fight. Even though I picked Evans to win, I thought that Rosa was uh, the aggressor, but he it wasn't just moving forward. He was landing punches, and I thought he was landing the harder punches. He did seem to run out of fuel uh, towards the uh, second half of the fight, but Evans seemed to, to have to be, like I was saying to Sal earlier, he seemed to have to be coaxed to come out after each round. Uh what did you, how did you see that fight? Am I, did, did I miss something? Yes, you did. You know, Evans, uh, I stated Friday he was going to win. But remember, you know, uh, he's been very inactive. One fight in two years. Uh, he was pacing himself. He outboxed Rosa. He used the aggression of Rosa against him. Rosa's a pressure fighter, but he's a reckless fighter. Um, Evans was uh, sharp shooting, catching him with the uppercuts. I thought Evans did a great job. Uh, the inactivity of Evans showed later on in the eighth round when he got caught with that uh, combination early. He was more or less on cruise control. The last two rounds, they were both tired out. I think Rosa is a decent fighter. Um, I think he need when he did box. Um, in round eight, uh, seven or eight, you know, he actually did good. You know, Rosa does have boxing ability. If he can relax himself and incorporate that with his aggression, I think Rosa can bring his game to a new level. As for Evans, what he needs to do is he needs to stay active and fight more if he wants to, you know, continue to rise up. He's a good fighter. I think he, uh, you know, he thoroughly outboxed um, uh, Rosa. It was the type of fight that Rosa needs, and it was the type of fight that uh, Evans needs. You know what? Because after you're you're off for that long a time, you needed something, you know, to really invigorate you. And Evans showed, you know, something with his opponent coming after him. It invigorated him, and it also uh, let him know that, you know, after the Javier Fortuna knockout in the first round, I can deal with somebody coming right after me. You know, this 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 isn't haunting me. It's not sitting in the back of my mind. So it was a good fight for both of them, and I was surprised. I didn't think the fight was going to be that exciting. Um, and finally, before we let you go, I, I have a question for you because I was shocked to see I'm – lo I'm looking at the studio window right now, Sal. It's snowing <laughs> out. You know, it's great. Whoa. Um, hey. But uh, uh, Willie Nelson – uh, a, a fighter that I haven't heard f from in a long time. Um, he uh, was on that undercard and uh, blew away his uh, uh, sacrificial lamb they threw in there. What was the deal? How come Willie Nelson was out of the ring for so long? You know, it's a mystery to me because uh, they had actually, uh, they almost scrapped him off that card. Really? They, they did. They almost scrapped him off the card. I didn't even know he was, on, didn't know he was on the card. Back on the card, so. I didn't even realize he was on the card. That's that's my point. I haven't heard. They didn't anything. have an opponent. Oh, well, they found they found someone, but but I, I'm it's just uh, it's strange that he hasn't been uh, he hasn't been in, in in the mix at all. You know, I mean, he's a, no, he's a good no, fighter. But. He hasn't. Uh, two more things on that uh, that BWF card: uh, the Maxim Dadashev and Clarence Booth fight. Um, you know, uh, Clarence Booth started out strong. Dadashev, I think, is a talent. What I didn't like about him, did you notice, is the fact that you know he kept turning to Basil Lomachenko to the crowd in between rounds and listening to his instructions. I don't care how good of a fighter somebody is, and we all know Lomachenko was a talent. He's that good, but you know what? Should you not be paying attention to your corner in there? If this becomes a habit to you, what's going to happen when you actually have an opponent that's going to give you a little more resistance than what Clarence Booth did? He 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 impressed me because Clarence Booth is a tough out, so uh, we'll have to see. But I I agree with you. you Got to listen to your corner. Um, what you have one other point? Because I got I got to take a break. Yeah, my my favorite part of that card is um. 
uh, Evan Torres uh, came in as the underdog against uh, Cuiso Madeira. A uh, funny story about that that uh, Lupe Contreras was saying that um, Torres showed up naked to the weigh-in, and um, they didn't have, you know, he, they were trying to think of uh, some way, you know, to announce him to make him sound a little more exciting to make that uh, uh, seven and uh, that six and five record not look so uh, unimpressive uh, for Madeira. So all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they, he decides, he goes, uh, he says he's in the ring, he's thinking about uh, 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 Evan coming in naked, and he decides to call him Evan Commando Torres. <laughs> Well, at least he, he went commando it to worked. the land, right? <laughs> and, and Christina Poncher joined Ronaldo and Stephen A. Smith as the most annoying people um, behind the mic for a televised card. She never shuts up. She never says anything that's opinion. In one fight, I think it was the uh, Saucedo and Vittori fight, uh, when Vittori went down several times in the third, her expert commentary was, there is no three-rule knock, knockdown in this fight, what that means is you can be knocked down three times, four times, or even five times, and then she starts laughing hysterically. My ears wanted to bleed. You know, yeah. it, it, she's the most annoying person behind the microphone. <laughs> can you imagine getting her, Stephen A. Smith, and Mauro Ronaldo in the same room? The only reason why I'd want him in the same room is hoping that somebody would drop a bomb in it or something, you know? It, but, would, have uh, to be on, it, it would have to be on the 10th, 11th. It would have to be somewhere high up in the building that I know when I take that nosedive, I'm going to hit the ground. I'm dying instantly because I couldn't listen to them one more time coming down going, Dax, are you okay? Please just shut up. Well, the truth, the truth of the matter is with those three large heads, you'd land right on a head for sure, you know, because uh, – uh, they both have, all three of them have some egos. But, uh, Dax, I appreciate your thoughts, and uh, we'll catch you later in the week. Absolutely. One last thing, just you know what? Uh, when you guys talk about later, if you can catch up, watch the Josh Taylor and uh, Miguel Vasquez fight. As I stated on Friday, the super lightweight division was red hot, and that body shot of Josh Taylor on Miguel Vasquez this weekend, you know, that put him on the map. I really think that, you know what, he's going to mix in well. That That division is wide open, and it's on fire. Yeah, and uh, Vasquez is, was a tough out. I mean, uh, you know, this guy was was a hard, hard uh, uh, out, I should say. I'm looking for the words. And, and, and at the end of the fight, as, as they're shaking hands, whatever, uh, um, he actually uh, motions to Vasquez like this to tell him, let's go out for a drink after the fight. Yeah. <laughs> Vasquez shakes his head, and they went out to the pub after the fight. That's what I like to see. Dax, we'll talk to you later in the week, my man. All right, everybody, enjoy your day, and uh, Bill, get out there and shovel snow. Yeah, that's the last <laughs> thing I want to do. Thanks, but, uh, take care, man. All right, brother, ciao. Um, that was uh, Dax Khan. You can check him out uh, on the uh, website, billyseatboxing.com. And uh, one uh, one thing I wanted to add real quick, Sal, is that Tyson Fury sent this open letter to Vladimir Klitschko over the weekend. Uh, I'll read it real quick. It says, uh, I don't know why you're so bitter about your loss to the Gypsy Kings, always banging uh, on about your loss to AJ and how great he is. At the end of the day, you lost uh, to AJ by a stoppage. That was a 50-50 fight until the end. In our fight, you couldn't land a punch on me. I made you miss. I played games in there, but you say AJ is better. I know you won't admit the truth to the world, but in your mind, you know the truth. So does your brother. I wouldn't expect anything more from you guys, but deep down, you know what happened in there. And by the way, I'm going to deal with your little brother AJ in the same fashion I dealt with you. Play with the bitch. Um, he says, uh, P.S., I'll be haunting your nightmares forever, Klitschko, and you'll always know that you could never beat the fat gypsy. Um, my, my, my reason why I'm even giving him the press here yeah. is because why is he writing a letter to, to, to Klitschko? I mean, I, you know, does he is he trying to coax Klitschko into a fight? 
Tyson Fury is starting to 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 really I don't know. I I don't know what to think of him. Your thoughts real quick. Well, real quick, I mean, uh, you know, like I said, the media doesn't report the news. They help stimulate it. And now this is what he's doing to market himself. And he's going to call out Klitschko, and he's going to try to leverage himself in with a title fight before he earns a shot just to come back to boxing. And he wants to fight a notable fight. And, uh, you know, I, I'd say Klitschko could even come back and fight him. And uh, we'll see what happens. But I think that's what he's trying to egg on. Well, that's exactly what I'm he's trying. I'm not a fan of Tyson Fury. I, I don't like Tyson Fury, and uh, you know I, I, you know he's better off in my mind. I, I just either get in the ring and show what he could do, or just shut up and get out, stay out. Right, right. On this day, uh, November thirteenth in boxing history in nineteen seventy-five, uh, Alicia Obed uh, knocks out Miguel de Olivia uh, in the eleventh round. Uh, to win the WBC junior middleweight title and took place in Paris, Paris, France. Uh, on this day in 1965, Carlos Ortiz wins a 15-round decision over Ismael Laguna uh, to win the world light, lightweight title took place in San Juan, Puerto Rico. On this day in 1999, Gilberto Serrano knocks out Stefano Zoff uh, in the 10th round to win the world lightweight title took place in Vegas. On this day in 1991, Paul Hodgkinson wins a 12-round decision over Marcos Villasana uh, to win the WBC World Featherweight title, and that took place in Belfast. On this day in 1999, Lennox Lewis wins a 12-round decision over Evanda, the real deal Holyfield, uh, to unify the world heavyweight titles, and that took place in Las Vegas. And finally, on this day, November 13th in 1992, Riddick Bowe wins a 12-round decision over Vanda Holyfield to win the world heavyweight title, and that took place in Las Vegas as well. Uh, programming note, we are not doing a live show tomorrow but we will be back better than ever on Wednesday. I just want to remind you guys we have a system update going on, so uh, it'll uh, detain us from doing a show. Although, uh, Sal, you're going to have to wake up and uh, do some uh, testing. But uh, that's Absolutely. The point. We could do it. That's besides the point. But anyway, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, make sure you tune in. Wednesday morning, same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby.